Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Jacob making that altar for fellowship with God was Jacob calling God, and Jacob was therefore knocking on on God's door saying, I wanna be with you. I wanna have fellowship with you. Now this is Jacob asking, seeking, and knocking. And so as a result, Jacob is now crowned with a new name. He's got a new name, Israel. This is all what's behind it. There's a man who was earnestly asking, seeking, and knocking, and he gets the name Israel, all because he said in Genesis 32, 26, 32, 26, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Now, that was Jacob, but now, what about everybody else? When does a person really engage in this asking, seeking, and knocking? No one is going to engage in verse seven in asking, seeking, and knocking unless they have a strong sense within them. A strong sense, in order for a person really to engage in this asking for God and seeking God and knocking for fellowship with God, a person has to have a strong sense of not having God, of, of not having eternal life. A person has to have a strong sense that he's really standing outside. He's not inside, he's outside of God. A person has to have a strong sense that, 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 that the crowd that's being spoken about in verse 14 is on the wrong road, and he doesn't wanna be on that road. Now the Lord then goes on in verses 13 to 14 and says that there are two roads. He says there's two roads. He says, enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way, leads to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. Few there be that find it. When it says few there be that find it, you can't help but think about Israel wandering in the desert. Millions of people wandering in the desert at this time. Only two of that generation go into the land. Only two, just Joshua and Caleb. All the rest die off. So the Lord says there's two roads. And the thing about these two roads is that he describes both of those roads go into eternity. Just two roads, there's not a third road. There's not a third road that goes to nowhere. There's not a third road that leads to annihilation or a ceasing to exist or a ceasing to be. There's two roads and both of these roads go into eternity. One road goes to life and heaven for eternity, and the other one goes to death and hell for eternity. But both of the roads go into eternity, an eternal death, an eternal existence in hell, or an eternal life, an eternal existence in heaven. So only one road goes to heaven, not many roads to heaven, just one road, just as there was just one entrance into the tabernacle, one gate 
into the tabernacle where God was in the wilderness of Sinai. That's what it says in Exodus 27, 16, Exodus 27, 16, the gate of the court. Not many gates, just the gate, one gate. Anyone who wanted to go into the tabernacle had to go through that gate that way. The gate of the tabernacle, is, it was the illustration behind what the Lord said in John 10, 7. John 10, 7, then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door. I am the door of the sheep. He said in John 10, 9, John 10, 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So single gate to the tabernacle as illustrated by the Lord Jesus. And he said, really speaking about, really thinking, you can see him thinking about this single gate into the tabernacle when he said in John 14, 4, John 14, 4, he says, he says, whither I go, you know, the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Only one gate into the tabernacle, only one gate into the road that leads to heaven that he's referring to here in, in, in chapter seven. Only, and, and the Lord Jesus is the door. He says in John 14, six, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So there's two roads. They lead to eternity. Only one leads to heaven. That's it. One road leads to heaven. That's the reason the Lord Jesus says, go in that way. Enter into that narrow gate. Go into that narrow road that leads to heaven. As a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus didn't just say go, but, but, but he said in, in another passage, Luke, which we'll see, he said strive, fight, struggle to, go, to get into this life. I remember a conversation I had with, with Mike Johnson when I told him first about 10 years ago that I had cancer. I had stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and Mike said to me these words. I never forgot it. Mike said to me, Tom, don't give up. Fight for life. Life is precious. It's worth fighting for, don't give up. That's what he told me. Well, now Mike has been diagnosed just recently with stage four liver cancer, and, 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 and the doctors are giving Mike no hope. And when Mike was thinking of that, just giving up and going on, Mike remembered what he told me. He told me on the phone. He says, Tom, I remember what I told you. When I told you, fight for life. Life is precious. It's worth fighting for. So that's what he's decided to do. And that's what the Lord Jesus is really saying here in verse 13 when he says, enter ye in at the straight, straight gate. Fight for eternal life. Eternal life is precious. It's worth fighting for. And this idea of fighting, as I mentioned, is in Luke 13. Luke 13, 24, in a parallel passage, he uses the, the word strive. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able this word strive, behind this word strive is the idea of fight, struggle. And so the Lord Jesus reveals when he says this in Luke 13, 24, he reveals a terrible scene, a scene of people of des in desperation, a scene of people fighting to do anything to get into heaven, only to hear the most terrible words, you cannot, it's too late, you are too late. You, you squandered your opportunity and it's gone now. There is no second chance. There is no purgatory. There is no temporary stay in hell and then a transfer to heaven. Death, at death, everything is final. That reminds me of this desperate scene, and you all saw it too, when, when, when Saigon was falling to the North Vietnamese. And there were the, Viet, the South Vietnamese, and they were pressing against the gate 
of the American Embassy trying to get on that helicopter that was gonna go out to sea to the aircraft carrier. And, 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 and so therefore the Lord uses this term, fight for it, strive. Raises the question of what are we fighting against? What, 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 what obstacles are in the way to going to heaven? What are the, what, what are the problems? What are, why is it so narrow? Well, first of all, as he said in Matthew 17, he, he goes on to describe uh, uh, Matthew 7, 7, verse 13. He, he, he talks about the narrow gate versus the wide gate, the narrow way versus the wide way, and, 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 and then he goes on to talk about false prophets. So here are some difficulties that, 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 that are in front of, of, of going into the narrow way. First of all, it's difficult for a person to accept that the gate of heaven is so narrow that it has to go through one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, what about all the other people who follow Buddha and, and Hinduism and Islam? How, how can you reconcile all those people with the fact that there's only one narrow gate, none narrow way through the Lord Jesus? So, this is a, so, so the first obstacle is to say, the gate's too narrow. The gate's too narrow, it's too narrow. It doesn't include Buddhists and Hindus and, Islam and the Muslims and so forth. So that's the first difficulty to accept that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Second difficulty to that gate is, 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 is that, that way is that the way that leads the way that leads to destruction is very wide. The, and the, it, it, it's very the wide gate, the wide road. They seem to be all inclusive. They include everybody, every lifestyle, all sorts of sins. Everybody's okay. Everybody's welcome. It seems so loving to not exclude anyone from from the way. And so the gate's wide. The road's wide. It's difficulty to overcome and realize that that wide gate, that wide road, is leading to destruction. It's the wrong way. That's difficult. That's a big obstacle because we, we, when we look over that wide gate and that wide road, you know who we see on there? We see our friends. We see our family members. It's difficult to say, well, they're all on the way to destruction. But see, and, and seeing that gate is so narrow, it's difficult to, to find many, many different ways. That you can't find many different ways that all lead to heaven. It's difficult. Yeah, and, and so this has to be fought through, this has to be battled through, it's a difficulty. And when a person starts and goes through that narrow gate, is on the narrow road, oftentimes it means he's leaving friends, he's leaving family. That's a severing of relationships. I mean, he doesn't want it, but it just happens. And, and as, as Peter said in 1 Peter 4.4, 4, 4, 4, they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. I mean, they're saying, come on. And then you're saying, I can't. And that's a parting. That's a parting right there. Okay. What is it? Such a dramatic point, Scott, that it <laughs> Scott sounds the symbol. Okay, so that's just like Abraham, who was called by God in Genesis 12.1, Genesis 12.1, in that, in that he, God said, now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. This is the famous lech lecha passage here, very the famous part, where God literally, when he says lech lecha, he says, you go you. When Abraham went through that narrow gate, that narrow path, and God told him, you, you're gonna leave your country, you're gonna leave your family, you're gonna leave your people, you're gonna go to a land that I'm gonna show you, that was difficult. That was difficult for Abraham. He had to fight his way through. He had to strive on his journey. 
But the wonderful fact is in Genesis 12:4, Genesis 12:4, very simple words, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Not easy, but he fought. The next difficulty in this wide wave, kind of mentioned it here, verse 13, many there be which go thereat. And about the narrow way, in verse, verse 14, few there be that find it. That's, that's difficult to, 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 to reconcile, to realize that, that, that there are so many on the broad way, on the, on the wrong way, the broad way, and, and how can they all be wrong? And there are so few on the narrow way. How could they be the only ones that are right? After all, the wide way is so attractive, it's so alluring, and that's a difficulty. And the narrow way seems to be so restrictive. Another difficulty, I can't do the things I used to do. There are so many prohibitions, there's so many, uh, uh, so much I have to say, well others can, I cannot. That's difficult, has to be fought through. And then the Lord comes to another difficulty in striving the way, in striving to get into the narrow way. He says in verse 15, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. This is an obstacle that has to be fought through. This is an obstacle that there are so many false prophets of religion who all claim to lead their followers to happiness, to heaven. But these, these, these false prophets, he's saying they're dangerous because they're false. That means that they give a false comfort. Everything's gonna be okay, you're gonna be fine. No problem between you and God. These are false prophets. These, prophet, these prophets are, are dangerous because what he said in verse 15, which come to you. They're dangerous because they're reaching out to people to follow them. They're dangerous because they come in sheep's clothing. They don't, they don't look like what they are, but they are deceivers. They are deceptive. It says in 2 Corinthians 11, 13, 2 Corinthians 11, 13, such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. No marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So they're dangerous because they come in sheep's clothing, because they transform, them, transform themselves into teachers of truth. They're dangerous because there's one common denial among these false prophets, very common denial that they teach, and it's given to us in 2 Peter 2.1. 2 Peter 2.1. These were also false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, and here's the key, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. That key even denying the Lord that bought them. In Jude 1.4, Jude 1.4 says, they are a certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when it talks about this denying the Lord, denying the only Lord God in our Lord Jesus Christ, it means they're denying the deity of Christ. They're denying that Jesus is God. Mormons deny the deity of the Lord by saying that we're all gonna be gods. Jehovah Witnesses, JWs, they deny the deity of the Lord by saying that he was only a man. This is the truth, this is God, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, this is man, that's true. This is what the Bible teaches. What Mormons do is they raise man up to this level and so deny the deity, of unique deity of, of Christ. What, what, what Jehovah Witnesses do is they bring him down. Just as simple as that. These are false prophets. 
These are false prophets. Mormonism, JW, many other false prophets typically deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's so dangerous because it says in Romans 10.9, Romans 10.9, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be, be, be saved. When it talks about confessing the Lord Jesus, it's talking about confessing that Jesus is God. And when false prophets deny that Jesus is God, it's very dangerous, very dangerous. Now, in the next verses, verses 16 to 20, the Lord Jesus now tells us how we can identify, how we can recognize, how we can see these are false prophets. And what he's saying here is that sooner or later, the unclean devil who is motivating them will lead those people to some unclean practice. It may be some sexual immorality, it may be some other practice where they'll be seen as bringing forth evil fruits, as he calls it. Basically, the Lord Jesus is saying, watch their lives. Don't just listen to what they're teaching, watch their lives, and it will become evident that they're false teachers because of, the lab, because of evil fruit. He says in verse 15, they're dangerous because he says in verse 15, inwardly they are ravening wolves. He's saying that there's a latent aggression in them. There's a disguised anger in them. There's a goal to destroy under the surface of these sheep's clothing. And so what he's saying is that watch for it. Look out for the, the look at the person behind the teaching to identify the false prophet. Basically, the bottom line of what the Lord is saying here is verse 20 whereby by their fruits you shall know them. So the Lord here has been, has been in his teaching warning about how false prophets deceive. The subject is deception now. He's talking about false prophets and their, and their deception. How they deceive. Now he stays on the subject of deception here and he, he, this is a false prophet deceiving others. But the subject is deception. Now he moves on to a situation where where the issue is now the deceived or those who are self-deceived. This is a situation where people are sincere. They're very sincere, but they're wrong. This is, a situa- this is the problem of self-deception, which he explains now in verse 21. Verse 21, when he says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So again, from it's necessary for a person to believe that Jesus is God, but just because a person may call Jesus God or Lord does not mean that he's going to heaven. And a person may recite perfectly these creeds, like the, like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, for example, uh, the great words, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, all things visible and invisible, one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from God, the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. So a person may have learned that, may be reciting that often, but that doesn't mean he's going to heaven because there's a sobering statement which the Lord makes in verse 21 when he says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, what makes this even more serious about what he said is that he said that those who call Jesus God are not necessarily going to heaven. They're, 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 in fact, 
Those who are going to heaven are a small number, he says in verse 22 and verse 23. He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work in iniquity. That's very sobering. It's a very sobering warning. So many people, he says, call Jesus God, and they have the worst self-deception possible because they sincerely believe they're going to heaven when they're not. But they believe they're going to heaven. And if you ask them, they will say, I'm 100% sure that I'm going to heaven. They will say there's no doubt about it. They're gonna, he says, I'm going to a better place. They say, I'm going to heaven when I die. They may even have in their Bible a date written down in which they prayed the sinner's prayer. They can tell you the time and place where they bowed their heads. They told God, I'm a sinner. They told God, I believe that Jesus is God. They told God, I believe that Jesus came to earth and died for my sins and rose again. They can tell you that they did everything, and so they're supposed to get into heaven, and they're calling Jesus Lord, but they're deceived. They're part of the, not necessarily, I'm just saying there are some, but many, he says in verse 21 and 22, who call Jesus Lord, not going into heaven, because he's gonna say in verse 23, I never knew you. Wow, that's a dilemma. That's a problem, that it's possible for a person to be so deceived as to done everything he should be doing, as to call Jesus Lord, think he's got the, everything checked off on the, on the requirements, and then he gets cast into hell. That's a problem. That's a real problem. And so it, it, it's possible for, this kind of leads you to think, well, it's possible for a person to regularly attend a good Bible-believing church, a good Bible-believing preaching church, call Jesus Lord, be cast into hell? Wow, that's an issue. That's a real issue. So that leaves us with the burning question. What is a person supposed to do to make sure that they're a part of the, sm of the small group going to heaven and not a part of the many who are calling Jesus Lord and being cast into hell? I mean, how can a person be sure that he's not part of this large, self-deceived group uh, calling Jesus Lord who are really destined for hell? Well, the great thing is here that the Lord has not left us hanging on this issue. And, and how to be sure that uh, 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 not to be a part of the self-deceived, hell-bound group that called Jesus Lord. The Lord Jesus has told us in verse 21 how to not be self-deceived. When he said, verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Okay, great. What is the will of the Father? What, what do I gotta do? What, what are the commandments that I gotta do? What, what are they exactly so I get into heaven? What's the minimum requirements? Okay, so he's told us what the will of the Father was. The will of the Father, he said in John 6.40, John, John 6.40, he said, this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up the last day. The key to what he's saying here, same in John 3.16, is this believe on him. Everything on that phrase, believe on him, is hinging on one little word. It's the word on, believe on him. And this is where the Greek is so critical here. And, and, and because the Greek word translated on is the word ice, which means into. You know, normally I don't do this with the Greek so much, but this is important here. This is very important. This word on is the word into. Ice is the word. Ice is used 829 times in the New Testament. 576, 70% of the times that it's used, it's translated into. The first time ice is used 
in the New Testament was in the history of the wise men that traveled far to bring gifts to Jesus. In Matthew 2.11, Matthew 2.11, when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their presents, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 